It's that kind of integration that you get when you spend a lot of time in nature. I like to call it dirt time. And the more dirt time you have, the more you learn. This is a podcast about the adventures of wild women. And through our adventures, we become wild women. We'll get into the heart of what adventure is all about and share stories from the wild women who inspire us to reach higher and dig deeper. We'll shine a spotlight on the mystery of places in the world we've encountered in our travels and where we're dreaming of going next. All women are invited to go wild with us. Welcome. Dr. Nicole Lapellian is an herbalist, a biologist, a survival TV celebrity, an anthropologist, a survival skills instructor, and a mother. Nicole was a challenger on the second and fifth seasons of the History Channel's TV series Alone, where she thrived in the wilderness solo with little more than her knife and her wits. She's also the author of two books, The Lost Book of Herbal Remedies, The Healing Power of Plant Medicine, and A Reference Guide to Surviving Nature, Outdoor Preparation and Remedies. Her latest book, Forager Guide to Wild Foods, Edible Plants, Lichens, Mushrooms, and Seaweeds, will be available in spring 2021. An unexpected diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2000 led Nicole to apply her scientific research skills towards her own personal wellness. Nicole's at home in the Pacific Northwest where she makes her own herbal medicines from local plants as part of her healthy living strategy and has her own herbal medicinal apothecary line. Nicole, it's so good to be with you right now. I'm here on Vancouver Island just off Vancouver Island. And I know this is a very special place for you in your adventures because you had a very special wilderness immersion experience here on Vancouver Island that I, I watched you on the Alone Show and it was just in awe to see how you navigated the, the challenges of being on the Pacific uh, Northwest in this, in this ecosystem. But this is home for you, right? You live, you live in this part of... Uh, of North America, you're in Washington right now, right? Yes, I live in Western Washington and I've been in Oregon and Washington for, oh, about 30 years now. Yeah. So it really is, Pacific Northwest really is my home. Yeah. So I felt very blessed to be, you know, placed on Vancouver Island for alone because it really immediately felt just like my home did. Yeah. And this wasn't by any means your first wilderness immersion experience, but, you know, as you say, it felt, it felt like home what was really the experience of being in a place that was familiar to you and digging deeper than I'm guessing you you ever really had to do in your day-to-day life? Was it different than, or how was it different than the kinds of adventures you had in completely different ecosystems in Europe or Mongolia or whatever other place you've, you've traveled in Africa, for example? Yeah, I spent, I spent a lot of time alone in the past. I've spent, you know, two months at a time alone in Botswana in Africa. When I was doing lying research there, I've spent time in many places over the world. But it was really something to spend that much time living outdoors and relying solely on the land in my my place of the Pacific Northwest, which yeah. really is home to me. Mm-hmm. Because here, obviously, I live, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I live on land, but I do live you know, I do live in a house. So yeah. I do have the modern conveniences yeah. of electricity and things along those lines. So, and running water and, and all of that. But living in a, in a place in the Pacific Northwest just deepened my relationship that much more mm-hmm. to give me even more of a sense of place here where I live. Mm-hmm. And how did that experience change you when you got back? Did it did it kind of give you new eyes? Because often I feel like in my travels around the world and in adventurous travel and going to completely new landscapes, I do have that um, you know that that fresh, innocent kind of perspective. Um, it feels like the whole world is new, and and um, for you to re-enter into your home ecosystem after having that deep, deep immersion in the Vancouver Island adventure, how did that change you when you got home? Well, you know, there's sort of two parts to that, two answers to your question. The first part I'd love to just mention is the transition home was the most difficult part about being on a loan for me. 
really, when people ask me, what was the hardest part about alone? I think they expect hunger or loneliness or cold or things like yeah. that to be my answer. Yeah. But the reality is, is the hardest part about being alone for that many months was coming home and transitioning. Huh. You're going from this sort of unique experience where you're by yourself, you're self-reliant, no one's depending on you, and really you're one with your ecosystem. Also, you don't have a bombardment of a to-do list or social media or the phone <laughs> ringing or anything or emails to catch up on, yeah. which we all have. It was really such a joy to not have any of that and really to live only in the present moment. Because yeah. when you're living in the now with your only purpose being fire, shelter, water, and food, really it, it brings this great joy because I really think that sort of gratitude and a sense of purpose gives you great happiness. Mm -hmm. And I had all of that when I was there and I was really able to sink into the present moment. Mm -hmm. When I came home, it was so difficult to be bombarded with all of that at once again. And my brain had to sort of do a, a step back in order to handle it. Yeah. And you know, this was something that you had experienced in some of your earliest adventures when you were a student doing your doctoral studies and you uh, spent a lot of time in the Kalahari Desert with the San Bushmen. So how was that experience of, as you say, being present and just being so immersed in a way of life that uh, although there's, there's great sophistication and deep, deep traditions, the day-to-day -day life isn't isn't as frantic as in our Western <laughs> society. So did it did it call back to that feeling that you had back uh, when you spent that much time with the Sam Bushman? It certainly did did yeah. bring all of that back. You know, I I still spend time with with them. I go there every single year, and I have a nonprofit I jointly set up with them with the community there, mm -hmm. and really the lessons that I've learned from that community of San Bushman in Botswana about living in the now, about deep nature connection, about interpersonal connection really held for me. And I think one of the biggest things that really came true when I was on alone was that looking at your environment as your pharmacy and your grocery store. Mm -hmm. And I look at it that way now. It was a lesson I learned in Botswana. It was something I got to practice really deeply when I was on alone. And it's something that I now practice now. Um, where I live in the Pacific Northwest, even though I live in a house now. Mm -hmm. When I walk through the woods or I look outside, I really do look for medicinal plants and what foods are growing. And I'm very in tune with the seasons and what's popping up. And I try to make sure I'm out every single day so I can see these changes that happen. Mm -hmm. And that, that ability to look at being able to get everything you need from nature, both mm -hmm. physically and psychologically, is, is a wonderful lesson. Mm -hmm. I did learn other lessons from the Kalahari Bushmen too that I've been able to sort of integrate into my daily life, especially with regards to parenting. I'm a mom and yeah. I know you are too. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've really learned a lot about how to teach my children in a way that isn't grating to them, or maybe they wouldn't say that, but hopefully isn't grating to them. As I think a lot of parents know, sometimes you're not the best teacher for your children, even if you really want to be. And the Bushmen really, they show their kids things instead of telling them. I was over there once and had a group of people and someone asked one of the males, the fathers, a question about, about parenting his children. Mm -hmm. And what is their job as a parent? And he said that his only job as a parent is to love his children, yeah. not discipline, not teach, only love. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a great thing because as a mom, imagine only loving your children, discipline, teaching. That was the aunties and the uncles and the grandmothers. And yeah. yes, you do that to other people, other your nieces and your nephews and your grandkids. But it was such a, a freeing thing to think all you have to do to your children is love them. And mm -hmm. I, I just love that. And oh, I, that's I, so beautiful. I tried to bring that home the best I can. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I've, I've seen a lot in your work is this... Um, I like to call it being as a question. <laughs> so this this curiosity, this you know, this way of being in inquiry and um, exploring the wilderness from that place of uh, humility and reverence, and I see that so much in your work and and what you're doing right now um, with what you're creating with your apothecary and all of your offerings in uh, in in your 
healing practice, I would say. And, you know, there's so many things that, um, uh, so many ways that I could identify you. And I know that you, you wear many, many hats. You're really, you're really amazing. And being an herbalist and a healer, I'd, I'd love to hear more about how your experience in the wild has shaped that because one of the things that you uh, you said once which really stuck with me is you know you said you have a relationship with these plants so can you share about how you see your relationship with plants and how that's come in your experiences in the wild because you're not uh you know you're not just um a healer i think that that you're you're bringing something deeper in in what you're offering First of all, thank you for that. I'm yeah. glad that that is definitely how I feel about the plants that I work with. Yeah. And I am so glad that that's come through in my work. It and has, yeah. I have a deep relationship and deep gratitude with the the wild herbs and plants that grow around me for a number of reasons. And one of them is that they, they healed me. <laughs> yeah. I have multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And 30 years ago, I was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. And looking at me now and the way that I feel now, no one would even know that I have MS. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that I basically took all of the things that Western medicine wasn't doing for me, ended up throwing them out the window and starting over and started this real healing journey in order to get myself both physically and psychologically well. And a big part of that healing process was nature connection. Well, really most of it was nature connection. Yeah. And the way that I've woven in nature connection to my healing is through my diet, eating a lot of wild foods, uh, through my medicine. I have an herbal apothecary, as you mentioned, and just Nicole's apothecary for anyone mm-hmm. who's looking for it. And I use a lot of plants and also especially medicinal mushrooms that I take every day in a, in a tincture form. And all a tincture is, it's uh, basically the medicine of the plant or the herb that you have comes out into a liquid form and you're able to extract all of the medicine from that, that particular herb and take it in a way that it just absorbs right into your system. It's a very easy way versus taking a pill or, or tea. And I've really had this amazing relationship, I'd say, especially with the mushrooms, because I feel that not only with the diet, but taking those mushrooms in that tincture form every day has really been a path to my healing and is what allows me to stay healthy on a daily basis. And the other side of that is this connection to nature because I, I know in my heart that nature heals and being outside in nature heals you mentally and your mind and your body are deeply connected and your mind-body connection is huge. You can actually think yourself well in a lot of situations. Uh, not all, of course, but I feel that it helps regardless of how you are feeling or what your, your diagnosis is. That mental ability and having that positive mindset makes a difference. And I think a great example of this is when people are, are told they're sick, they automatically get sicker. Mm-hmm. And it's not hypochondria, it's just your body reacting because mm-hmm. it's a stress response. And I feel that having these relationship with these with these plants has has really been part of that that journey for me. Oh, Nicole, you know that um, this resonates very very deeply for me because I've also been on this journey. Uh, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 15 years ago. I didn't and, know that. Wow. Yeah, and very soon I. I saw my MS diagnosis uh, as an invitation to go on one of the greatest adventures, as it turns out, of my life. And I I feel like you approached it the same way. I want to know where you stepped into that as an adventure. When you were diagnosed, did you immediately feel the trust that nature and your relationship with nature and a, a more natural healing path was right for you or did you have to uh to kind of learn learn that perhaps the hard way did that confidence come right away or i would love to say it came right away for me but it didn't (laughs) the honest answer is it didn't come right away for me yeah it was you know over 20 years ago i was 29 30 when i got diagnosed with ms and i was sort of in the prime of my life and you know or or what i thought was the prime of my life and (laughs) i got hit really hard i was living 
I'd say normally, but really with um, that A-type personality, I was always on the go. I wasn't taking the best care of myself. And while I was living a good, happy life and traveling a lot and doing things that I loved, I wasn't as connected with nature. I gardened a lot and I was into herbs, et cetera, but I hadn't formed as much of a connection that I have now. Really, I look at MS as a blessing because what it gave me was it gave me the ability to dive really deeply into this plant journey and mushroom journey and lichen journey and all the other species uh, in order to to heal myself. And through that, I've been able to get my my journey out to other people and have helped many other people heal themselves. So it turns out that getting MS and being knocked down for years, really two to three years was actually a gift, but it was hard to look at that at the time. It really did take myself sort of stepping back and reevaluating and then coming at it with a whole different perspective and a shift in perspective in order to be able to go down this journey of healing. And I've gotten there, but it definitely took a shift in in sort of consciousness for me. What made you confident to take that approach? And, um, you know, I, as, as you speak, I just kind of have shivers because this is very, very similar to my own story. You know, I was 29 when I was diagnosed with MS. I love nature. I was, you know, going to yoga and I liked to garden and I liked, you know, to do outdoor things. But when I was diagnosed, uh, it was, it was a shock. And for a couple of years, I was so terrified. I did exactly what um, all the doctors told me to do, which was to take um, pretty, pretty severe injections. So I was injecting interferon drugs into me daily. And it took me a couple years and some pretty strong kind of messages <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to feel like I could take a more natural approach. And 15 years later, uh, after going through, you know, a, a good uh, bout of disability and all of the things that I, I know that you you went through, um, the fear, uh, I felt like as you, you know, embracing nature and my own connection, my own wildness and letting, trusting my body again um, and finding ways to support my own healing through, through nature and, um, that has made all the difference for me and my mindset, of course. Uh, so I stand here stronger and healthier 15 years after that diagnosis. Um, and I credit, I credit nature and a positive outlook to, to really, and it, that isn't necessarily everyone's experience, but for you, where did you turn that corner of saying, I'm not going to go the traditional path and I'm going to go off the beaten track in my healing journey? Was there a something that pushed you or called you or, or made you feel like, no, this is the way I need to go? Yes, there certainly was. You know, first off, I'm, I'm amazed how, how similar our stories were. Yeah. Um, I also went on daily injections and listened to my doc, my neurologist at the time. Mostly I was scared yeah. and I wasn't great information out there at the time. I feel like right now there's so much research behind you know, diet and medicinal mushrooms and all of Dr. Terry Wall's work. I work with her often and I love yeah. her approach with diet. And I'd come to the same conclusions that she did. We were on, you know, once we met, we were on, but already following the same diet and, and had very similar, similar things that we do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who has MS and doesn't know her work, Dr. Terry Wall's work is really fantastic. Yeah. She's I doing found a lot her of research around it. It was a big help. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. And I have information on my website at nicolapellian.com that talks about what I do every day for MS and about yeah. my story. Like what you're asking me now. For me, the turning point was I was getting sicker and sicker. Those The Western medication wasn't working for me. Yeah. I was getting more ill. I was getting more disabled on a weekly basis. And I couldn't, I didn't want to live like that anymore. It was to the point where if that was living, it wasn't, it wasn't living. Mm. So I, I really wanted to, wanted to have another child. I wanted to, there were all sorts of things I wanted to do in my life. And I knew I couldn't do them on the path that I was on. So I started out with the first sort of baby step. And I was doing like you, gardening, and I was always outside and loved camping all my life and did yoga and all all of those things. Mm -hmm. But I I took the first step into Ayurvedic medicine. And that was the thing for me that I really got there was the diet piece. And then from there, I really had to deep dive myself because I didn't find that there was a lot available like there is now. And my hope is, is that now when people get diagnosed with something like MS or another autoimmune disorder, 
is that there is information out there. Uh, my website's pretty thorough about what I do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people who use that as their, their go-to and have done extremely well. Uh, there's a woman who actually watched season two of Alone. This is one of my favorite stories. And she watched season two. And two weeks later, she got diagnosed with MS, very pretty severe, severe MS. And when she was in the hospital, they asked her why she didn't seem to be scared. And she said, because I saw Nicole on Alone, and I'm going to reach out to her and follow her, her protocol. And I know that I'll be okay. And she has been, and I actually got, she's from Texas, and I actually got to meet her in Arkansas uh, a year and a half ago. And it was the most wonderful meeting to meet whose life had been altered because I was able to share that story. And it's so so important. It's so important. And, you know, when I, when I was diagnosed, I was terrified and Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was crying in the doctor's office asking, am I going to die? Because I had a school friend who had died from complications from MS. So it was a very scary, scary story. And the first thing I did when I walked into the doctor's office is go to the bookstore. Um, And I said, I need, I need stories that I need to read a story of someone who isn't going to die and isn't going to be in a wheelchair because that was that that was my fear. And I couldn't find a single story. And it took me mm-hmm. a long time, 15 years ago. I was desperate and terrified. And I couldn't find any stories of anyone who was living with this this disease. Um, and I felt completely hopeless. So I was so disempowered at that point and, um, and just wanted someone to save me. And, and as long as the doctors told me what to do, I was going to, um, follow that, that path. And, um, and I came across the, uh, a woman, Lori Schneider, and she was the first person with MS who's climbed, Mount Everest and the highest seven summits on the planet. And that story hit me like a lightning bolt. I said, Mm -hmm. if she can do this, she can climb Mount Everest and she has MS. Well, a year later, I went to Mount Everest. I didn't climb Mount Everest. Hey, that's okay. But I trekked to base camp of Mount Everest. And my story changed. And I love what you say about the story that you told yourself um, about being healthy and changing that, um, that idea of, you know, being a sick person. So when our story changes, and when we connect with those stories, uh, I have no doubt that the women who have heard your story, and I felt it too. I mean, I'm 15 years um, from the diagnosis and and I've done a lot of work and a lot of healing and I'm in great physical shape right now, but I don't take that for granted. And, and Nicole, when I saw you on um, the Alone Show and I saw your strength and your wisdom and how you navigated the challenges of your physical experience with the multiple sclerosis and, and some things came up for you on the show that um, were really difficult, I know, in, in that time. And, um, and when I saw how you navigated that and held so much, just so much power and, and grace and strength, I thought, wow, you know, that's the story of who I want to be. I want to be like Nicole. And because we need more stories of strong, powerful women who are going through that adventure of um, overcoming illness, whether it's cancer or MS or whatever other kind of autoimmune disease. Um, I think we need more of those stories desperately because I know I desperately need it to hear that story of Lori Schneider, a woman with MS climbing Mount Everest, and it changed my mm. life, that story. So I'm so glad that you're out sharing your story with the world and that we can help share it as well, because I, I just know how much of a difference it makes. Thank you. Yeah, I really hope that it's helpful to people to hear what can what can be done. No doubt. It, it can, the stories can save lives, and they do, and it, it happened to me. 
So when you look for inspiration now, I, I guess in every adventure, you know, we have, we have different summits that we, um, we look to, and then we get to that one and then there's the next one. So where's your edge now? So, you know, I'm sure that you still have physical challenges and things that you're, you're working on, um, with your own health and healing journey. Where do you want to, you know, really stretch and kind of push yourself now, do you see another challenge ahead, another adventure that is is really calling to you? Well, I'm always I'm always up for adventure. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Physically, I feel great. Yeah. You know, actually, I I can't. I have no complaints. I I feel like I feel healthier than most people my age yeah. um, without MS. So I really don't feel like MS is a challenge for me at the moment. Yeah. It's not that it never creeps up, but I really have been feeling well for, for a very long time yeah. and feel, you know, the proof of that is I do go in for an MRI every, every three years just to make sure. And, you know, I haven't had new brain lesions since I got diagnosed. So I feel like I'm very much on the right, been on the right path. Yeah. Um, really for me, uh, I don't know what edges I'm pushing nowadays. I am writing a lot and, uh, I have another, another, I have an herbal remedy book out. That's been quite popular. The lost book of herbal remedies, the healing power of plant medicine and my foraging book, the forager's guide to wild foods, which encompasses plants, lichens, mushrooms, and seaweeds comes out next month. So I'm very excited about that. So I'm in final proofs for that book. So that's been, been something that I've been spending a lot of time in. But really my, you know, my, my two youngest boys are in high school and well, seven, I guess they're teenagers, I should say, one's not in high school yet. And I'm just really trying to spend as much time as I can with them because one's a senior and he's going to be leaving soon. And I just want to make sure that I'm able to spend time and make really good memories with them. So a lot of my adventures right now really are revolving around my children Mm. because well, they always have, but especially now that I sort of see them going to be leaving the nest soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a scary thing when you're, when your kids fly the nest. So I just am trying to make a lot of time for them and make sure that we are able to just play games together and go outside together and go on walks together and <laughs> just, just whatever it is, you know, that, that we have time for it's, you know, time is, is the you know hardest sort of the biggest commodity. Yeah. And really for me, just making sure that I balance and spend my time in a, in a really good way. Mm-hmm. I normally would be going on more adventures, but you know, with COVID hitting us last year, I've really stayed close to home. Right. So I haven't had the sort of adventures that may push my edges a little more than usual as, as often as I have in the past. The year before last, I went to Bulgaria and did a Stone Age show that's out um, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that was a month living as we would have in the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. So I love shows like that because not only do they have a new set of parameters, for example, that was Stone Age material only, which is very different than a show like Alone, yeah. but also it's a new location. So keeping up and doing more of those sorts of things with sort of parameters around them that are new to me, I find that really exciting because it keeps pushing my edges and it allows me to expand my knowledge base. And as you mentioned before, curiosity is a big thing for me. Yeah. And I love asking questions and learning new things. And by having those, you know, new experiences, I'm allowed to do that. So it, those are the main things that I'm really spending time with right now in my life. I love it. And, and I'd love to hear more about your experience, um, your adventures uh, as a mother and raising, you know, your, your wild child or wild children. <laughs> I have a nine-year-old and um, okay. nine-year-old son, and I really feel you on that um, recognition of, probably what you learned, you know, from, from the Bushmen and the, in the Kalahari that, you know, our time with our children and the space that we have to really um, nurture our children in their own relationship with the wild. I mean, it feels to me like it's the most important thing now. And so I have seen some of what you've shared about your experiences with your boys and I see them, you know, learning how to make fire uh, with a bow drill and, um, and some of the adventures that you're sharing with them and, and wilderness immersion. I think again, you know, Nicole, I, I feel like I want to be a mother more like you because my sense is that I had to redo and relearn so much. And 
it was 30 years at least of my life and I didn't have basic skills. I feel I feel like when I embarked on this healing journey and started to really deepen my relationship with the wild, I realized I was just a baby. And now I have as a mother an opportunity to give my child a different um a different starting point where he knows how to make fire. He has a relationship with uh with plants. You know, he feels comfortable in the wild and it's you know, it's something that he loves. And I feel a great, great responsibility to help support him in that because I, I feel like it's the most important thing. So when I see you with your boys, it really, really inspires me. And I wonder how that how that journey is kind of going because, you know, kids like to rebel, right? So I'm thinking, uh, yeah, my kid's probably going to end up being a Wall Street banker or... <laughs> You know, I mean, how is he going to rebel against me? So um, how do you, what are the challenges that you find in getting your kids more into nature and helping them to have a start that, you know, maybe will um, avoid some of the challenges that we had to deal with around healing and they do see nature as being a source of their life and not the grocery store and they're not, you know, um, perhaps drawn into other things that, um, that we were growing up. Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, parenting so hard. Yeah. You're not given a manual, right? You have the experience of being parented, yeah. but you really, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of times, you know, your kids, they don't want to learn from you. And sometimes you're not their best teacher, as I mentioned yeah. earlier. I think one of the real blessings that I've done for my kids, I have three, um, I raised three boys. Yeah. And one of the real things that I, has been so instrumental for, for all of us in our family is this intergenerational learning, right? Having people of other generations and different ages around. Because mm. a lot of us live in nuclear families now. It's really hard to, you know, we're not living with grandma upstairs and our aunties down the street and, and all of those wonderful interactions. And from the time my kids were really little, I started going to these traditional skills gatherings. Yeah. And my kids have grown up going to these gatherings of hundreds of people who are all teaching a variety of skills. And what that means is, they get to, of course, at home and on our property and when we travel, et cetera, see the things that I do. But they also get to learn from all these amazing people, other adults who have different skill sets than I do, and maybe whom they connect with on a certain level. You know, my 17-year-old my doesn't necessarily, or doesn't at all really now, want me to sit down and show him how to do something. That's just not something that he's into. But he's gladly, he'll gladly learn it from somewhere else. Yeah. And he actually teaches teaches survival skills in the summer. That's what he does, and uh, and it's been really wonderful to see his journey. And a lot of that he's picked up. Of course, he's picked up stuff from me, but he's picked it up from other people mm -hmm. whom he connects with and whom he learns from better than he would learn those things from me. So I think having other adults around as mentors, we've lost that whole mentoring community. Yeah. I think that is super important. And people who have been mentors become the best mentors. So finding people who aren't you also for your children to be with mm -hmm. is super important. And it can be something as simple as my youngest son loves chess and, and we play, but you know, our local chiropractor plays and he's really good. <laughs> so, you know, now once a week, my son's going over to his place to play chess because he can learn more from him because um, he's a better player than I yeah. am. And also it's another adult whom he can connect with and it's not me. Yeah. So it's kind of this balance of, of having them around and, and teaching through learning, but also letting them go and giving them experiences where they can be themselves and learn apart from you. And getting that quest for knowledge is the big thing. And it comes back to that curiosity again, mm -hmm. having kids who are curious. And I think the way to foster that is when a kid comes back and they've gone outside, they said, mom, I just saw a bird. You could say, oh, great. Or you could say, what bird was it? But try asking the question like, oh, what was it doing? Mm -hmm. What size was the bird? Do you know what it was? Why do you think it was doing that? Oh, I'd love to see. You know, always those sorts of things that, that really have them delve in deeply and make more, think more, more deeply about what it is they saw. Because next time they see a bird, maybe they're going to see they're going to look at its actions of what it was doing. And they're going to come back to you with more questions and more stories. And you get to ask them more questions and they become more curious. Yeah. So 
that's something that I've always tried to do, you know, the best that I can. We all do our oh, best. We're it, not it seems like you do it wonderfully. <laughs> and, and, you know, honestly, I look, I look at you, what I, I can see from, from what you've been sharing in your writings and, uh, and in your show and, and uh, in other, in other ways. And I see you as such a role model for me. Um, and I don't have the technical survival skills in many ways uh, that you've developed over many years. And so I often feel with my my you know nine-year-old son, I feel really inadequate um, to be able to teach him and even guide him in those ways. So I love what you're saying about allowing more of a community mentorship approach. And what I come back to in my own healing um, and in my mothering is just let nature do the work. I just have to get my body into the wild and it will show me the way. <laughs> she will show me the way. Nature will show me the way. And the same thing with my child. I don't need to show him anything or teach him anything. I just need to get him into the wild. And the teachings will come and the learning will come. And um, and that kind of trust in, yeah, trust in, in the rightness of nature and in my belonging. You know, I I'd love to hear you talk about belonging because it seems like you feel so comfortable now in the wilderness and you didn't grow up I mean, this wasn't something that you you were doing your you know your whole life um when did you feel like you really belonged there and it was home was there an experience that you had or a point where you felt like yeah I I've got this yeah, I've had a number of those times in my life. And really that I've always felt at home outside. I mean, growing up, I did grow up in a city, uh, about about 150,000. Yeah. I grew up in Massachusetts. But my my parents, my mom and my stepdad really fostered my love of nature. My dad would come home early from work and we'd go canoeing and we'd be in our field guides. And I was always outside, uh, you know, exploring our backyard and running around the neighborhood and on my yeah. bike and having a lot of freedom. I love mm -hmm. the freedom that we had as children. So that, of course, we have a lot of kids have less freedom now. And I think that that freedom is so important, especially for kids who are really independent spirits. Um, they really need that. But I really felt, I've always kind of felt at home in the wilderness. I've never felt scared. I, I do better in the wilderness than I do in a city. I can manage in a city, but I definitely prefer the wilderness because I find wildlife is mm -hmm. more predictable <laughs> than humans. Um, a lot of people would say the opposite, but I, I disagree. And I'll give you an example of, of when I was on Vancouver yeah. um, Island for a loan. I was there for, I won't give away those who haven't watched it. I was there for a couple of months. And after the first month, I remember sitting at my sit spot, which is a place I went every day. I would say rain or shine, but it was rain, except for two days, it was rain. Um, <laughs> and I was sitting there and there'd been this, this hole in the ground and there were crab shells. And I kept trying to figure out what I was, what it was. And I eventually figured out it was a mink because I got a little glimpse of it. And finally, a month in, I was sitting at the sit spot. And all of a sudden, this mink came up within a foot of me, sat up, ate its crab in front of me very calmly. And then when it was finished, it went away. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've arrived. And that was when I knew I was at home in that ecosystem. And it got to the point where there was a mom and cubs there, bear, a black bear, and then a male bear. And the male bear and I would forage on the beach together. You know, we would be, you know, 20 yards apart, but we were on the beach going for the same food, foraging at the same time, not bothering each other, knowing we weren't worried about each other, and neither of us was a threat. And it's that kind of integration that you get when you spend a lot of time in nature. I like to call it dirt time. And the more dirt time you have, the more you learn. And for me, one of the big turning points in life was I lived in a tent in Africa for years after the Peace Corps. I did lion research in Botswana and lived in the, in the bush in the middle of nowhere and had to be very self-reliant because we had no phones. Um, there was no, a radio didn't really work. We didn't even have one in the vehicle. So we were sometimes, sometimes I was just by myself in the middle of nowhere, six hours from from anybody else. No one knew where I was and I'd be changing a flat tire next to a pride of lions sort of thing. And, you know, when, you, when you're doing that, you know, you really have to rely on bird language, your, your inner, that sixth sense, um, knowing what's going on around you and being just that whole sensory awareness. And 
And that time in my life when I was living in the bush 24 seven, I really felt like I was part of the ecosystem and I could have become part of the ecosystem in, in all sorts of ways very quickly, but it, it really heightened my awareness and also just my, my love for the bush and that, that ease that I feel when I'm in the wilderness. And it doesn't matter where in the world I am. Obviously, if I'm in a new area, there's new plants, there's new wildlife, but that idea of, of bird language and tracking and nature connection and sensory awareness and that sixth sense. It's very transferable. That really translates across all yeah. of them. It is. And I feel like yeah. those skills are so important. And they're often referred to kind of as the soft skills versus fire making yeah. and things which are the hard skills. But I really think that they're, they're more important. And that that connection with nature is is key and uh, is, again, healing both mentally and physically through for illness, for grief, uh, mm-hmm. for whatever it is that, that you're you going know, you, through. You're often called uh, a survivalist. And I'm wondering about the idea, you know, you, you've been on this TV show, uh, Stone Age um, survival show, and I think a lot of people look at survivalists, um, you know, as, as being pretty extreme and hardcore. And why would I want to, you know, eat <laughs> grubs? And why would I want to suffer? And, you know, all of the... Um, all of this, the sacrifice, you know, the image of a survivalist as being someone who is going without and, you know, trying to survive. And most of us don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. We want to, and we want to be comfortable and have pleasure. And I'd love to hear about, you know, your sense of how being a survivalist has really benefited your life. I mean, you've talked about your experience healing, and that's so important. What are the other ways that, you know, these experiences um, that have been really challenging and, you know, you've, you've gone through some suffering in that um, or some, you know, some physical, emotional, uh, you know, you, you, you've, you've been on the edge in many ways. On the other side of that, what have you gained from being a survivalist? You know, that's a great question. I don't love the term survivalist. Um, I just thought of this. Maybe we should call it survivalist. Maybe that's it. I like that <laughs> I a lot. Yeah, up. I like that a lot sure better. Just wrong. there's something that sounds. It sounds yes, negative. I'm a survivalist, um, or I like yeah. to call it wilderness living versus survival skills. I do wilderness yeah. living skills, and that's how I try to live my life. Um, it's yeah. more of living in harmony with nature. Uh, you know, for me, I can't imagine any other way of living. I can't imagine living. You know, in in a different environment where I'm not connected with nature. I feel like I'd be ill if I lived like that, um, both mentally and physically. You know, you mentioned grief. Um, you know, I, I, I did lose my oldest son. Uh, it'll be eight years in May. And the thing that got myself and my kids through that was nature. We bought a cabin in the middle of nowhere and uh, we spent a lot of time there. Um, and that was one of the big things that helped us through. And having been able to, to sort of release that grief through nature, obviously it still sits with all of us and we, it doesn't go away, but there is a way to move through grief and illness with sort of love and joy in your heart. And that's also a big part of why I did alone. You know, it was a test for both how I was feeling physically, but also how I was doing mentally. Because when you're by yourself, there's nothing else, right? All you have are your own thoughts. And what I came out, uh, alone, the experience of alone with was knowing, you know, knowing that I had peace and joy in my heart and I'd somehow I'd done it. And that was a really, that was one of the best things I got out of being on alone was that, that knowledge that I'd really come through all of that grief with joy and peace. Now, new things crop up every day. <laughs> So every day, you know, we're trying again and <laughs> new ends, things are cropping ends. up. Nothing goes away, right? It's life, right? Things keep getting thrown at us. But figuring out that yeah. balance and how to integrate nature yeah. and so you can have healing, I think, is really, really absolutely key. Yeah. And you have that confidence now. You own that, you know, and, and that's what I see see um, in in what you've shared of your experience. You know, I see someone who is 
really in integrity um, within herself. And, and that comes through so much. Something that you wrote uh, was so powerful to me. You said one of the ingredients in your, uh, your holistic wellness routine is gratitude. And that ability to stay in gratitude when you have been ravaged by, uh, you know, a devastating disease, when you've had incredible loss of a loved one, um, you know, that ability to practice gratitude, has that been amplified by your wilderness experiences where, you know, as you said, you know, you're, you're appreciating a lot of where things come from, whether it's your food or, um, you know, other, other elements that sustain us, um, you don't take for granted anymore because you know how much it takes. Yes, to, gratitude is one of the biggest things that helps me on a daily basis. Yeah. There's something about giving thanks for something that's external mm -hmm. that causes this internal shift and causes you to be grateful even when you're in times of hardship and grief. They, you know, studies have been shown that that people who are, give gratitude and thanks for things don't they don't ignore the bad things. It's not like you're you're saying that these bad things aren't happening. You're just finding some good giving thanks for it. And that shifts your perspective in a way that you're able to keep going even when you're in your deepest, darkest times. Uh, we do gratitudes. I do them every morning. Every morning I get up, I step outside regardless of the weather, and I give a gratitude for the day. And at dinner every night, we all do gratitudes. You know, it's sometimes hard for teenagers to do really awesome gratitudes, but that's okay. <laughs> because as long as they know they're in the practice of it, uh, I've seen them then be with other people doing gratitudes. And wow, I'm always impressed, you know, because your kids are always at their, you know, their baseline <laughs> when they're with you, right? Um, and that, that practice of gratitude yeah. I've really tried to instill in our in my family. And I've even opened business meetings with gratitudes before. And it immediately shifts the tone. Uh, it Everyone all of a sudden looks at each other like human beings. Like, oh, right, right. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We're all fallible. Mm. We're all coming at this with our own baggage. And we're in a meeting together. But, mm -hmm. but boy, we've just connected around gratitude. Uh, every class I run, I start with a gratitude. I find it's a very bonding experience and it shifts the whole, um, the whole everybody's sort of higher mindset into this, this point of connectedness. And again, it comes back to that connection. So not only you're talking about nature connection, but connection with ourselves and with other yeah. people and gratitude helps with, with both of that, both of those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, having watched you on the alone show, when you were, near starving in Vancouver Island, um, the gratitude that you expressed with every, every, you know, meal that you were gifted in that, in that wild place, there was such appreciation and such respect that was expressed. So I think, I think that was one of the, the most, um, compelling parts of seeing you through that experience is just seeing that pure gratitude that was and 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 the deep uh the deep relationship that you're forging with the wilderness um because you weren't taking anything for granted and and you knew how much had to go into getting your next meal and getting your mm -hmm. next you know uh flame and and all of it was just so appreciated what are you feeling Ooh, grateful right now for, grateful for this conversation and your days? story Thank you for sharing that. It was just, it resonated so yeah. deeply with me. Our story is being so similar. Um, I'm grateful right now. I've been, you know, I go out every day. Mm -hmm. I just came in from the garden <laughs> when you and I were starting to talk and I was transplanting, moving things around mm -hmm. and all of the spring greens are coming up and I've been dealing just, I was munching my way. My, my land is, I have a garden, but it sort of flows with the forest and, and I gather a lot from the woods around my home. And I was gathering some miner's lettuce, which is coming up now, and some yeah. wood sorrel and just some other greens and popping them in my mouth while I was sort of digging away. And I was just feeling really grateful that I live in a place where there's so much abundance and so much food just at my fingertips. So that's something I was really, really feeling grateful for today. Oh, beautiful. Oh, Nicole, I'm so grateful for you and this conversation and, um, and, 
the women who have inspired me so much on my own healing journey and uh you know this adventure of of uh being a wild mama and um and doing the work that we we do um in the world it's it's so it's so good to have um these connections and to feel feel that you're not alone, you know, and, and I just want to tell you again, you know, how much your story of how you've thrived, <laughs> um, since your MS diagnosis, how much that story has meant to me. It brings me so much confidence, um, to see you blazing the trail in many ways. And, uh, I'm so inspired by your story of how you're mothering and how you're giving back, uh, in your work in the world. And I um, can't wait to go shopping in your apothecary and uh, and get some of your herbals and, and definitely read your book. And uh, I think I can take my own healing to uh, to the next level with, with some of the supports that you're offering. So tell me about that. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love to hear what you're offering these days in, in, your, uh, in your herbal lineup and um, what some of our listeners right now could, uh, could check out and... Um, and enjoy. Wonderful. Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, yeah, it's nicolesapothecary.com. And, you know, I have a, a full line of herbal tinctures, um, herbal extracts. And my most, I just had to say, my most popular are really the mushrooms. Uh, reishi, cordyceps, lion's mane, and turkey tail. Uh, I take a mushroom trio every day. And I feel like it's been so, so good for, for my daily wellness and especially with an autoimmune illness. I've and never taken mushrooms. So this is really, this is a, <laughs> this is a good tip. I, I mean, mushrooms are just what I put on my steak. Like I, I don't, uh -huh. I don't use mushrooms medicinally at all. So I'm really turned on about mushrooms right now. Thank you. Excellent. There's so much research <laughs> out about it too. It's really exciting. Okay. And I'll, I have a lot of articles on my blog that goes into the scientific research. And I'll check what it out. Is of, of all of these different, different mushrooms and other yeah. herbs. And I do have a newsletter at nicolapallian.com. It's twice a week and there's a blog each time. And I talk a lot about both wild medicinals, wild edibles, uh, recipes. And I also talk about gratitude and, mm. and nature connection. So this theme that we're talking about today, if this was interesting to people, I do have a newsletter that comes out twice a week that they can sign up for and uh, try to really, I really try to get really good information out to people. I'm going to go on your website and, uh, and, and, uh, stock up. So great. And for anyone interested in my books, um, I have a link on nicolapellian.com backslash books. Yeah. My herbal remedies book, my new wild foods books will be out soon. And I have a book on, on the great outdoors as well. So thanks for that. Oh, thank you for your work, uh, and sharing your story. It's so valuable and, um, yeah, I, I really, I'm really grateful that you're doing what you're doing. It, um, it means a lot. Wild Women Expeditions is a global leader in women's adventure travel. And we're so much more. We're nature lovers. We aim to empower women and communities around the world. Want to know more? Check us out at wildwomenexpeditions.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram.